You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, Senior Multimedia Specialist here at NCQA. NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance, exists to improve healthcare in the United States. We want to make care better for everyone, so we set expectations of healthcare companies and organizations, measure their performance, and highlight those that do well. And we use science to help us build better health and better choices for everyone in the United States. So if you're a fan of this podcast, thanks for being a fan, then follow us. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, bookmark us and subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, then you can give us a thumbs up. And in Amazon Music, go to the podcast section and click on the heart icon to follow us. You can hear us anywhere, but show us you're listening. And if you have feedback, write to us at communications at ncqa.org. We look forward to hearing from you. As NCQA continues to help lead our industry in its pursuit of health equity for all, and as this episode premieres in the week honoring the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Inside Healthcare features three interviews this time, recorded live at our Health Innovation Summit in October 2023. Among many panels and presentations was an incredible session called Health Equity Trailblazers, where vision meets commitment. Health equity leaders discuss their organization's health equity strategies, vision, and lessons learned, delving into how leaders can commit to and advance health equity priorities. Each of today's guests on this episode sat on that panel and then sat with me live at the summit for a deeper dive. So if you're a healthcare leader, a colleague, or a caregiver even, you've seen disparities throughout the healthcare ecosystem. You may have experienced them yourself and felt the stress and anxiety that often accompanies unfair treatment, practices, or attitudes. These leaders have seen it, felt it, and lived it. This panel wasn't seeking to comfort. Gaps in healthcare delivery among minority populations are long-standing and historic, and the sources and causes run deep. These leaders, each in their own way, want to inspire us to action. Dr. Jonay Khaldun is Vice President and Chief Health Equity Officer for CVS Health. In this role, she advances the company's data-driven strategy to improve access to services, address social determinants of health, and decrease health disparities. She's a sought-after speaker and thought leader who has appeared on Meet the Press, MSNBC, and CNN, among others, and she has testified before Congress. In her past work as the top doctor leading Michigan's COVID response, She is credited with the state's early identification of and actions to decrease disparities, and in 2021 was appointed by President Biden to the National COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force. Dr. Khaldun has received multiple awards and recognitions, not the least of which includes as a 40 under 40 leader in minority health by the National Minority Quality Forum and the 2022 USA Today Woman of the Year. She is a practicing emergency physician who earned her MD from the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. She completed her emergency medicine residency at SUNY Downstate Kings County Hospital Center. I was overwhelmed just thinking of what it must mean to be Chief Health Equity Officer for CVS Health. The company is huge. The stores and the pharmacies are omnipresent in neighborhoods throughout the U.S., and the need for solutions to equitable care is stronger than ever. So I started with a simple question for Dr. Khaldun. What do you do? I describe my role as making sure across all of the CVS health lines of business, so that's our insurance line, so Aetna, Medicaid, Medicare, commercial, our our, uh, individual uh, family plans, Caremark, pharmacy benefit manager, of course, our retail pharmacy store uh, footprint that people are most familiar with. I'm the one who really makes sure as we're serving people across all of our lines of business that we do it in a way that leaves no one behind. So whether that's access, whether that's looking at data, whether that's uh, thinking about how we're showing up in communities, I am that engine uh, with, with my team, of course, that works across the entire organization, again, to make sure we're advancing health equity, which means really leaving no one behind. 
and, and honestly, at least from my perspective, when I hear CVS, I'm only thinking of maybe one or two lines of business. I'm, it doesn't occur to me off the top of my head that CVS or CVS Aetna is so much more. So there's so much more that you're able to, uh, that you're able to promote, and there's so much more to your company than just the storefront. Absolutely. And it's really such a privilege to work at the company. We have over 300,000 colleagues that work at CVS Health. And again, we, we just have the opportunity to really, I think, change the trajectory of health and healthcare for this entire country. If we can do this well, then quite frankly, I think as a country, we'll be able to do it well and succeed. So really excited about the opportunity at CVS Health. So I'm, I wanted to ask you, why is health equity important? Why is advancement in health equity I mean, I, I don't want to ask you the obvious question. So I want to say from your vantage point within the company, why is it important to identify gaps in equitable care and to advance initiatives that help to resolve those gaps? You know, I, I don't think that anyone gets up, and maybe there's some exceptions, but for the most part, people don't get up every day and say, I want there to be certain subpopulations of the people that I'm serving who have worse outcomes. I don't think anyone's getting up and saying that I think there are some moms who should die from a uh, pregnancy-related uh, uh, complication or some baby should, again, die before their, their first birthday. So generally, people want to do the right thing. Um, and so what does that mean? Health equity is really about making sure everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible. I like to say that's regardless of who you are, where you live, what you look like, how you worship, you know, who you love does not matter. Unfortunately, we know that is not the, the case in this country. So when we think about CVS Health, again, we have people who have Aetna as insurance. We are looking at our, our data, for example, and identifying are there some subpopulations that unfortunately have not had equitable access or treatment historically? And are there specific things that we can do as a company to improve those outcomes? And so that's really important. And being very intentional about that work as well is, is how I think about the work of my team. And what, what can you do? Not specific uh, goals or specific uh, um, initiatives, but what can you do in terms of being able to not just help people wherever they happen to be or happen to live, uh, but maybe to uh, push against any friction from local, say, governmental or state governmental legislation that uh, seems to be limiting or uh, restricting uh, equity. Sure, I, I totally understand that even the word, the, the term equity has been politicized. And quite frankly, some people in, in this country, when they hear that word, they, they think of a certain stereotype. I, I won't describe what it is, but I think there's a certain um, persona that comes with even the term health equity. But I think it's important when you're doing this work to understand where people are coming from. Again, I, I do believe as an optimist that people want to do the right thing. So when it comes to advancing health equity, it's really about quality improvement. It's about there's a subpopulation that we have the privilege to be able to connect with on their healthcare journey. Did you know that there are some of those uh, subpopulations where their outcomes are uh, worse than, than other groups? And quite frankly, not only is that morally not a good thing, there's also a business case. If we improve the quality of care and, and improve outcomes for that subpopulation, we're going to decrease costs um, and improve the health of, of our business. So there's definitely both a moral um, and, and a business case for this work. And, and that's why it's not unnecessary for me to ask you, specifically in your role and for the company, uh, to give us a definition or operational definition for healthcare equity, because I, I can talk to various guests at the summit as much as I want to, uh, and everybody's going to give you know shades of gray of the same kind of thing. But for you specifically, you need to be able to tell everybody from a policy standpoint, here's what we're talking about, here what this, here's what this term means, and then going from there, here's what we can do, here's some initiatives that we can do in order to, uh, to promote it, to advance it. Exactly. And I would say getting very intentional about what you're talking about looking at your data and specifically what are the actual disparities within certain health outcomes, whether it's at CVS, we're looking at hypertension, depression, uh, maternal health, maternal morbidity and mortality. Where do we actually see disparities and what are the specific things that we should be doing to actually track 
those disparity gaps closing over time. So it's really, really important to be intentional. But I'll also add, this is not just about a one-off initiative. It's really about the lens through which you make decisions at a company. It's the lens through which you look at your data. It's the lens through which you uh, engage with your team, with communities. So it's not just a one-off program so that when that program goes away, health equity goes away. It's really about embedding it into the infrastructure of your organization. So in that sense, what is the mission for CVS? How do you perceive your, your, the customers or the, the folks that you serve, that you provide services to? Absolutely. You know, at, at CVS, it's really about, and our, our kind of motto is bringing our heart to every moment of your health. And so how do you do that? We don't say bring our heart to every moment of only some people's health, right? It's about thinking about everybody that we have the privilege. And to be in healthcare absolutely is a privilege. Everybody that we have the privilege of connecting with, let's raise the bar and let's make sure we are doing that in a way that is, that is equitable. So what do I mean by that? We actually have implemented at CVS a health equity business unit assessment tool, and it walks distinct business units in a very tangible, tactical way through a series of very specific questions around how they could be embedding or not health equity into, again, looking at data, looking at their policies, how they make decisions. And so what we've actually done, and we're, we're, we're you know, rolling this out right now, um, we've actually walked leaders through that assessment. We've been very honest about where we are, but then we're getting very tactical about okay, what are the things that we can actually do this year to make improvements? So for example, we're looking at translation services for our uh, pill bottles as an example, mm -hmm. right? Can we make sure that the language that, that is written on our pill bottles is actually um, in a language that, that people understand, whether that's braille, large fonts, Again, very tactical things that, quite frankly, I think that's how you, that's one example of how you would embed a health equity lens. It's really hard to undo that. Once you start making things accessible, yeah. it takes a lot of effort to undo that. And that's what we mean by embedding it in how you just do your work. And that's, that's where you have a small thing that's really a big thing. Uh, and, and another way of using data from electronic health records that somebody has to fill something out, they're able to fill out something about the, the language or ethnicities or, or their, um, a combination of their age and the various conditions that they have. So for example, if somebody said that they were in their 40s but they have glaucoma, then it would be great if that data then somehow processes and at the end game pharmacy says, oh, well, then we should give them a label that's written in larger font. I mean, just something like that. But when it starts happening in automation, people start to feel it. Exactly, exactly. And, and don't underestimate when we talk about data, it's not that organizations, and I'm talking broadly now, you know, also about you know, former health departments that I worked in, there is data. There, there, there's, it's not about a lack of data necessarily. It's about, are we asking, do we have the right data, and are we looking at the data in the right way? And from the insights we gain from those data, are we actually making decisions based on it? So it's not necessarily that we need more data, need more data. I do not believe in uh, analysis paralysis and saying you cannot do health equity work because you have, don't have enough data. Um, but it's how you're leveraging data to inform your work that's really, really important. And quite frankly, it's the hardest thing to do. I want to ask you a question about communities, working on the community level. Because CVS has the opportunity, and I'm, I'm not sure how it would work if you're working, if your position is at the, the highest you know, echelon uh, on an executive level within the company, but people often think of CVS as uh, within my community, oh, it's down the block, and then another five blocks, there's another CVS, which CVS am I going to go to? They think of that as a, a community-based kind of store. Um, so if you could talk to me about the significance of that, the significance not of having so many stores in, in the areas, but of the mentality of people within their neighborhoods that they feel that uh, the local CVS is their local store that they go to as a one-stop shop for medical health-related solutions. You know, thank you for asking that. It is certainly, again, such a, such a privilege, um, again, to work at the company and why I get excited about this particular role. You're absolutely right. You know, 85% of Americans live within 10 miles of a CVS health store. 
And I truly believe that health and healthcare just has to be local. It has to be consumer driven and, and personalized. So you're absolutely right. There's an incredible opportunity. People are also more likely to see their pharmacist in any given month than they are their primary care uh, physician or team. And so that's absolutely an opportunity. So we have our pharmacists in all of our stores absolutely are trusted. We are working through how do we really embed that health equity lens into what we do. We also have things like Project Health. So we have Project Health vans that are actually going across communities, providing depression screenings, blood pressure screenings, you know, making sure that people, if they screen, that they may have an actual uh, diagnosis of a chronic condition, making sure they're getting connected to care as well. So that's really, really important. Um, we do not take it lightly that we've earned the, the trust of communities across this country. Um, and that commitment to the community is really, really important and also part of what we do. You know, I, I think health equity is not just about one program or initiative. It's simply how we do business. And so while I am so grateful to be in this role and I, and I do have a team, we work across all lines of, of business. Health equity is the responsibility of everyone and every leader. And that's what I'm really excited about is how we are really embedding this into the framework of how we do our work at CVS Health. That's my talk with Dr. Jonay Khaldun, Vice President and Chief Health Equity Officer for CVS Health. Announcing NCQA's next big event, the Health Equity Forum, coming up March 4th and 5th, 2024, at the Westin Los Angeles Airport. The Health Equity Forum convenes state officials, advocates, and healthcare providers, showcasing the blueprint for creating and implementing statewide health equity strategies. Two days, here's the first day, California state officials and health equity leaders will discuss why California has prioritized health equity. They'll also share best practices for health equity collaboration. And for day two, that features a workshop and training with NCQA experts about our health equity accreditation programs. You'll determine your readiness to earn accreditation, identify challenges you might run into, and learn how to address them. And if you're a champion of health equity, diversity, and inclusion, NCQA wants to partner with you. We offer all kinds of opportunities that can be customized to align with your strategic objectives and specific health equity goals. Find out more at ncqa.org and search Health Equity Forum, or just click the link in this episode's description. Dr. Ronald M. Wyatt is a renowned global healthcare quality and safety expert with a passion for advancing health equity worldwide. Dr. Wyatt is founder and CEO of Achieving Health Equity, LLC. As a distinguished senior fellow with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI, he holds pivotal roles as chief science officer and chief medical officer at the Society to Improve Diagnosis in Medicine, an organization dedicated to enhancing diagnostic accuracy in healthcare. He's the creative force behind the Joint Commission's Quick Safety publication, as a, an expert in hospital safety oversight, Dr. Wyatt holds a significant role in shaping the National Patient Safety Goal on Health Equity, and his contributions to the National Patient Safety Plan, authored by AHRQ and IHI, underscore his commitment to advancing healthcare on a global scale. As you'll learn from Dr. Wyatt, gaps in delivery and disparities in care have been around for so long that we're past the point of talking about them. It's time to commit to action to fix what's broken inside, outside, and throughout the healthcare system. Tell me what it means when I say that vision should meet within healthcare, and especially in terms of identifying and helping to resolve problems, gaps, challenges in health equity. Where should vision meet healthcare? Yeah, so thanks, thanks for the question. And, and I thought about that a lot, even during our panel discussion. Uh, vision meets commitment. Uh, so when you think about vision, that means you have to see it. Literally see what is happening in healthcare and in, in healthcare delivery. So seeing, for instance, the level of preventable harm and seeing the level of preventable death, uh, seeing the inequities that drive unsafe conditions, 
means that now we must, in, in an urgent way, make a commitment. And I, and I typically focus on leadership in an organization to say, once you see it, we show you the data, we show you the outcomes, we show you where your processes are failing, then will you commit to change? So in order to, to get to where we want to get in patient safety and health equity, then there needs to be a commitment that, that says like this, we can no longer sustain the level of harm, preventable harm, that we've seen for decades. So, so I urge leadership, commit once you see what is happening in health and health care. And then next step is, is go to implementation and actions um, to prevent and to improve uh, health care, patient safety, quality, and health equity. Let me follow up and ask about uh, safety. Because uh, I, I don't know if I've had a guest who uh, focuses, at least some of your work, focuses on uh, patient safety. Tell me, what, what are you talking about when you're talking about patient safety? Because it could go in a lot of different directions. Are we talking about um, how a clinician even thinks about a patient? Does it start even from that point? Yeah. So patient safety at, at its core means no one should be harmed if it can be prevented in the process of receiving health care. That is, that is it in a nutshell. No one should be hurt if it's preventable. And why are we even talking about that? Especially in terms of health equity, why is that an issue? Yeah, so, so if you, again, if you look at the data, just the population in general, we know that the levels of patient and family harm as a result of those processes uh, are unacceptable. Now, when we look underneath that data, uh, at specific areas and we segment by race or ethnicity or language, it becomes even more acute. The harm levels are higher. The preventable death rate is higher. The adjusted mortality rates are higher when you stratify by race, ethnicity, and language. When you look at hospital-acquired conditions, things like pressure ulcers, things like falls with injury, things like hospital-acquired infections, when you separate that out by race, ethnicity, and language, you see this huge equity gap that ultimately leads to a death gap. So, so what we want to do is improve the processes, improve the outcomes, and, and, and get to a point where we're preventing harm and preventable death. If we're talking about safety, patient safety, and harm going to patients within hospitals, do you see a correlation between that and public versus private hospitals, or even different floors in the hospitals, or locations of the hospitals, that they're in different cities or different areas where um, it has nothing to do with uh, who is working there, and it has nothing, almost nothing to do with which state of the union they're in. Yeah. Um, do you, are you seeing correlations with, uh, with that in terms of patient treatment or, being, or patients being ignored? Yeah. So, so the, there is correlations, and, and I'll start with we see differences inside of a single healthcare setting that could be inpatient or ambulatory, uh, from one unit to the next, from one department to the next, we see that difference in, in failures in process and outcome. When we, when we then go to a higher level uh, to say, wh you know, where and how is that taking place, then the, the conversation still becomes, becomes the same conversation. You know, we are looking at processes that are not serving people. And then as a part of the work when I was at the Joint Commission, we looked at what are the root causes of this harm. And, and year after year after year, they're the same root causes. One, and, and, and the most common one, is leadership. So what do I mean by leadership? That means that leadership has failed to commit uh, to preventing harm from happening in the first place. Part of that leadership commitment is that you hold caregivers accountable for their activities uh, in, a ro in a more robust way. The next is, is teamwork. So you think about in any healthcare setting, you would say, well, they all work in teams. But when we look at significant harm events that lead to permanent harm or death, we see that there are teamwork dynamics that fail people that result in harm. The next one, and I'll just go with these three as root causes, is communication. How do teams communicate with each other? What is not spoken when it should be spoken? And that, that, there we're talking about, is there a, a psychologically safe environment so that people can say, doctor, you're about to operate on the wrong leg. And there are cases that I've reviewed where that is exact case 
where there's people in the OR that know that that procedure is on the wrong leg, but they will not speak up. That's that communication failure that goes inside culture of safety. Is there a psychological safety? And, and how is that expressed in a system in, inside the team and across the team? So leadership, uh, teamwork, and communication are the big three. The next one down is human factors. And, and the way to think about human factors is what is the environment that we put people into in healthcare settings? What is that environment? Do you have the equipment that's needed? Do you have the supplies that are needed? Is there production pressure that, that contributes, and we, we talk about contributory factors, contributes or raises the risk for harm in that setting? What are those, what are those human factors that we need to consider? Are, are there violations? Are there errors? Are there lapses? Are there mistakes? Is, for instance, is there not enough lighting? Is the place too noisy? Is it too dusty? Is there something wrong with the flooring even? So we look at all of those things that can, can contribute to harm. To try to come up with answers and, and solutions, we need to try to break down what are the different areas. One area I'm hearing has to do with uh, the staff. Another area has to do with the infrastructure, like you were just talking about, uh, of the hospital setting itself, uh, the safety within, the cleanliness within it. Um, and then the, the third one is a history and a culture that, that has always been prevalent. There are guests that I have in and I ask them um, how much has, uh, to what extent have healthcare disparities become more obvious, more obviated, more realized as a result of uh, the pandemic. And like more specific example, within the pandemic, the overflow of uh, inpatients before hospitals and systems started telling people, if it's something you couldn't take care of yourself, stay home, there's certain symptoms that there's nothing we can do to make it better. We have no more beds left. We got an overflow of what's going on here. And pushing the systems to the brink ended up helping to reveal even more some gaps that had been there for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. I mean, has that been your perspective or does it seem like uh, um, it's, just, it's always been this way, this data has been around for a long time, people just are not taking action on it? So, so I think that's just the truth. It's, it's already existed, what we call pre-existing conditions that set the stage for harm. So if we, if we go to the, the COVID pandemic, and I said this earlier today, I'm surprised that anyone is surprised at what was discovered when COVID uh, first took off, uh, particularly as it relates to low-income, um, marginalized, uh, primarily non-white communities. So for example, in, in one big city, uh, it became apparent that there were eight zip codes where the, the death rate uh, was accelerating. When we look closer at that, that particular area, what was discovered that by intention, the, the system had under allocated resources to the hospitals in those zip codes pre-COVID. So why would you be surprised when a pandemic hits, now you don't have the supplies, you don't have the equipment, you don't have the proper staff levels. You, you, all of those things, your supply chain is not the way it should be at a, at a hospital someplace else that serves a different population. So, so why would you be surprised then? The, 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 the George Floyd pandemic was a catalyst for what we already knew. And for those of us that's been working in patient safety for decades, we already knew that. We've been screaming about it. Uh, and, and we've been talking about how the outcomes are different. The, the complications are different when you, when you stratify by race, ethnic, and language. Those are what we call known knowns, right? So then what do you do about it now that we know this? Because we can call COVID a black swan event, there will be another one. What did we learn? To, to be ready, and, and readiness is a big term in patient safety, for the next black swan event. Are we gonna repeat it again? And, 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 and downstream from that, that, that means that there are people dying because we already had the pre-existing conditions. So as we say in safety, every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. So if, if all those things I talked about already existed, what did you think was going to happen? You know, I'm not going to ask you about long-term goals um, for resolving health equity gaps within the patient care system. 
because we need short-term goals for this conversation. It's not so much with a long-term outcome. We might say, oh, 10 years down the line, here's what I'd love it to be. But you're not going to get there unless you have the short-term. So if you could give me uh, as many uh, short-term goals for right now, say in the next two years, yeah. uh, on the level that you're talking about, on the, the hospital level, the staffing yeah. level, the, the larger scope provider level, yeah. what are two or three short-term goals that you think these companies really should be pushing for? Yeah, so I would say to any system where the inequities have been uh, illuminated, leadership, and I include the boards of directors, go to the community at the at a first level say we are sorry <laughs> apology is a real thing and it builds trust that's easy to do at the lowest level then ask the community will you help us and that is a hard thing for healthcare leaders to do just say we have failed you we need your help so that 10 years from now or 15 years from now we won't be having this discussion because we sustained this based on your input because we're here to serve you. You can start there. Next, take your data. And, and data becomes almost an excuse for a lot of systems. We, we don't have the data, we can't get the data. And, and I call, I, I would just say, I call BS on that. Uh, because there is data that is required to be submitted to CMS and other payers. Yeah. If you, at the first level, if you stratify your harm data by race, ethnicity, language, sexual orientation, gender identity, that's going to illuminate where you have opportunities. No, you're not going to be able to boil the ocean. But if you use the data in a stratified way, it will give you an idea about where you can start and then commit resources to the effort and continue to grow that to your point as intermediate term goals and long term goals. It's going to take us a while to get there. But because of George Floyd, because of Breonna Taylor, because of COVID, there is activity. My fear is that can we sustain it? This work is not a project. It's, it's more than that. It never ends. It should never end. We, will, we can never say we're there, right? Unless some, by some miracle, <laughs> the data says so. We're nowhere near that, right? Because too many organizations are still puzzling over how do we even stratify the data? How do we ask a person, what's your, what's your race? How do we ask a person, what's your sexual orientation, gender identity? Uh, and, and start there even. And start with just enough. We say just enough to get started. It's daunting. It's a lot to ask. And my last question is, um, what are your words of advice, of, of inspiration to inspire a, a person on any level of leadership within the provider system, um, to inspire them to be a, a role model? Yeah. To, I mean, all of this is this is grandiose. There's a lot uh, that we're talking about here, but um, they can't be intimidated because there's so much that can be done. So, what do you tell people to inspire them uh, on how to get started and how to be uh, positive and progressive and forward with it? Yeah. So, so first and foremost, I will still go back and say, will you commit to building a safer healthcare system? It requires commitment. Uh, so first, will you commit? Next, uh, we, I ask people to be, um, I don't use the word hopeful, uh, because hope is not a plan. And some is not a number, and soon is not a time. So let's get specific about this. Uh, so I say, instead of saying I'm hopeful, be an impatient optimist. And, and what we find in healthcare all too often is we have a lot of complacent optimists that are just want to maintain the status quo. So I say to people, be an impatient optimist. It's likely that the seeds that we plant, you won't be here to enjoy the shade. You're planting those seeds for, for the generations to come. So, so that's the next level of this. The next, when people say, it's, to your point, it's big, it's huge, it's grandiose. I'm just one person. I'm by myself. I, I get resistance. What, what can I do, right? Um, it's hard work. And if I, I say to people, it's hard work. Put your heart in it. Think about what it means to you, your family, your community. Do you love your organization? Do you love your community? Whatever that community might be and look like and speak like and dress like, will you be able to do the hard work for that community, that beloved community that we all have? Dr. Ron Wyatt, founder and CEO of Achieving Health Equity, LLC, 
Senior IHI Fellow and Chief Science Officer and Chief Medical Officer at the Society to Improve Diagnosis in Medicine. And finally, we visit with Dr. Brian O. Buckley, who moderated the Healthcare Trailblazers panel at NCQA's second annual Health Innovation Summit. Dr. Buckley is NCQA's Director for Health Equity Initiatives. In this position, he plays a key role in developing partnerships with funding and research organizations, care delivery systems, the managed care industry, and communities to translate research knowledge and real-world evidence into development of equity-oriented products and programs. These include NCQA's health equity accreditation programs. Dr. Buckley teaches at Georgetown University's School of Medicine and serves on the board of the American Heart Association in the greater Washington region. He's an active member of the American Public Health Association, serving on the executive board and many other groups there, including the Black Caucus of Health Workers. Previously, he was manager of strategic initiatives in the executive office of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts. Dr. Buckley earned his doctorate in public health from the T.H. Chan School of Public Health at Harvard University. He also earned a master's of public health from Michigan State University College of Human Medicine and a Bachelor of Science degree from MSU as well. We check in with Dr. Buckley on this show from time to time to take the pulse of NCQA's health equity initiatives. He travels so much for us to as many conferences as possible and presents on our behalf and meets other people, tells everybody about NCQA's great health equity work. But he's traveling so much, I'm grateful for the few minutes he had to chat with me in the podcast studio at our Health Innovation Summit. By the way, keep an ear out for some of the names that Dr. Buckley drops in this interview. Many of them were speakers at the Health Innovation Summit in 2023. Their interviews with me will appear in future episodes of this podcast. So stay tuned. There is a panel here at the NCQA's second annual Health Innovation Summit, uh, a panel called No Quality Without Equity that you were moderating. So uh, talk about that. What was what was on the plate for discussion there? Um, who were uh, the, the speakers? Uh, what were some of the thoughts that went by? Yeah, um, so I got the wonderful privilege to moderate a panel, No Quality Without Equity, and the genesis of that panel was really us, one, one being here in Orlando, Florida, knowing about many of the policies that um, include and exclude certain individuals from having the high quality healthcare that we believe in NCQA everyone deserves. And so I was joined with uh, my fellow panelists, uh, Dr. Christopher King, uh, the Dean of the School of Health at Georgetown University. Uh, Dr. Lydia Isaac, the Vice President of Health Policy and Equity at the National Urban League. And uh, last but not least, uh, Nadine uh, Smith, uh, the CEO and co-founder of Equality Florida, to really in many ways give a context into understanding the perspectives of understanding where we are at this time and the emotional toll that when inequities happen, what does that look like? And we are seeing aspects of that in Florida. And Nadine did a really good job in really highlighting the need for change and the stories that really just nearly broke your heart. I think the theme I heard from that panel was like, you know, I felt like I wanted to cry because, you know, you don't hear stories. We know change perspectives, they change behavior. But then also with my fellow panelists, we talked about how do we actually change and make sure that we as communities are representing and showing up to advocate for the policies that we need? Lydia did a really good job on talking about the need for voting, making sure that you vote, reminding you that your politician works for you and making sure that if there are issues that you are voicing those concerns, that you are at their offices, whether you're coming to DC or whether they're in your district. Right. Christopher talked about the work that they are doing at Georgetown and even thinking about health on a more global level and how we're actually integrating and understanding the historical aspects of systemic racism and all other forms of oppression that happen within healthcare, that those are important um, pieces to know because if you don't know that history, you're doomed to repeat it again. So this panel is a very much really setting the stage and painting the broad brush on why do we have to focus on equity and why there can truly not be any true high quality healthcare without having equity in mind. 
and, and noting for Nadine, the summit right now, we're sitting in Central Florida. Exactly. And Nadine's uh, organization, she in charge of and co-founded, uh, is dedicated to uh, raising the bar for equality on, on a state level. That is very true. And she was just an all-star. <laughs> And I'm as a plug. I, I had a wonderful conversation with uh, with Nadine Smith, um, so you can find the episode for that uh, when that comes out. I had a, a great conversation with uh, Dr. King, with Dean King, excuse me. Um, so there's that's going to be in an, uh, in an episode at some point of Inside Healthcare. Um, and Dr. Isaac, I didn't have a chance to talk to, but she was involved with another NCQA project. Uh, with uh, National Urban League with Picori, with Picori, mm -hmm. uh, P C O R I, in um, helping helper. to foster right exactly helping uh, teaching people how to start and develop and sustain communities uh, community health worker programs within their communities or within their CBOs. And you know the cool thing about this panel is it's, it's you know especially when you work in health equity for as long as I have everyone it's kind of like family and so. But Lydia, I'm actually a co-PI with her on that project for Procore. Um, and Christopher, I always say, you know, you always you remind me, Dean King now, because uh, I knew him before he was Dean. Uh, we had actually ran a paper together called Race, Place, and Structural Racism, really historical review of DC. And so Christopher and I know each other for quite some time over the years. And of yeah. course, Nadine Smith, a lot of our work has crossed paths in my work with the American Public Health Association. So. It was just really building it all together on how we are really looking at all these cross-sectional aspects of intersectionality that make up how we want to be shown and treated with dignity and respect in healthcare. So moving on to Trailblazers, mm -hmm. uh, which I believe we had a panel last year at the first annual uh, summit uh, talking about health equity trailblazers. Mm -hmm. So this year, um, the title adds on, it says, where vision meets commitment. So coming up with an intersection of uh, having a vision for what needs to be done and then I guess making a commitment to actually do something about it in order to move equity forward. So it's identifying it and then moving it forward. Um, and, and I know some of the folks on the panel would be talking about uh, things that NCQA does as far as working with data to try to bring certain population data to light. Yeah, so the second panel that I got the opportunity um, uh, was awesome. It's uh, once again I, I mentioned in the panel that it's, it's just amazing to be with like my fellow Justice League members and really just really you know and people always are like Brian you talk about this Justice League thing but I really think it's the greatest analogy on how we have to do this work together and it, we have to make sure that we're working in partnerships with others. And so I had an amazing panel with uh, Dr. Letha Maybank, which is the Chief Health Equity Officer at the American Medical Association. Ron Wyatt, Chief Medical Officer at uh, the Society to Improve Diagnostic Medicine, you know, Asaf Batan, Dr. Asaf Batan, uh, Executive Director of Ariandi Labs, and uh, Dr. Um, Jonay uh, Khaldun, uh, Chief Health Equity Officer of CVS Health. Mm -hmm. And we specifically chose many of these people, one, to show the intersection of how we have to think about equity across the continuum. Um, and I love my speakers and I kind of, the framing I had for that panel was um, by Ella, Dr. Ella Washington. She wrote the book, The Necessary Journey. And I often think about that as how we think about equity. It's the necessary journey. Um, and my panelists kind of walked us through their why about the awareness and the need for to address uh, inequities um, because we know there, there are systems that perpetuate these inequities and disparities. But then also thinking about the aspect of adherence. This can't just be the nice thing to do because, you know, some regulatory organization says it, but there has to be a commitment that we are committing to excellence. We are all trying to raise the bar for ourselves. But then the panelists did a really good job on talking about the tactical integration and sustainability techniques that are needed to make this work go around how do we think about partnerships. Uh, we talked about the Rise to Health Coalition that NCQ is a, member, a leadership member in on how we are working with, you know, AMA, IHI, you know, the American um, Hospital Association, and so many other healthcare and health organizations, because we know we can't do this work alone. We have to do it together. And no one can just say, I'm going to be the one that solves, you know, inequities. Like, this is a team sport. But also the aspect that this can't be just a service line that people do. This has to not be, there's not like a start and finish part of health equity. This is something that, and it's not just, one person's job. This is not my job at NCQA to think about health equity. It's every one of our jobs because we've already made the commitment that there can be no quality 
with that equity. And so if you're doing quality work, if you're doing things that are impacting people's physical well-being, you need to have equity in mind. And even if we can't get to a point of cynicism, because cynicism and really being cynical about this work is a privilege. There are many people out here that are experiencing inequities and they don't have the time or energy to be cynical. They're currently in the trenches of it. And I think our panelists brought home why this is such an imperative, not just from a financial return on investment, but really, is this about what your mission is? Is this about what you value in your communities? For anyone that is saying, hey, I'm a mission-driven organization trying to impact communities, yeah. if you don't have equity in mind, and I think Asaf said it really well, you know, we always often hear the no mission, no, no margin, no mission, but he said, you know, people often forget the second line of that, where if there's no mission, then why does it even matter if we have margin at all? And so, like, there's this idea that, you know, we have to make sure that our mission has to be what drives us, you know, and the margin will make sense because we're addressing our mission. There, there's the humility that you keep in mind um, and that, like you said, a lot of the people that we encounter, especially at the, at the summit here from outside of our company, outside NCQA, where uh, maybe you get cynical or maybe you get tired, maybe you start to uh, lose focus on what you're doing because it, the work becomes so overwhelming. Uh, in trying to say there's so many gaps that we need to overcome and there's so many things that we need to, to resolve. Uh, and then you go to the doctor. And all it takes sometimes is you as a person going to the doctor and having your own kind of negative or deflated, defeated kind of experience for you to get back in the car and feel the humility that doesn't just tell you I had a lousy experience, but reminds you that if it happened to me, it's probably happening to a couple million other people in the United States. And is, I mean, is that enough to, to keep driving you forward and, and inspiring you to do your work? Yeah, I was telling people the other day, my, my perspectives have been changing lately. Uh, I, I had my first uh, child in August and... Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. And I was actually talking about, as we we're talking about the why and why we do this, uh, my perspective is kind of, I've, I've been of two minds with this. One part is, as we are doing this work, as we're talking about health equity, I'm thinking about my son and thinking about the quality of care that he's going to have. But, you know, I'm not alone in that. You know, other people have children, other people have loved ones, whether it's friends, family, that are going through the healthcare system. And I think all of us want to be treated with dignity and respect. And if you haven't been in the healthcare system, one, congratulations, but all of us will be patients one day. And I think of the work and the imperative of the work that we need to do, not just for my son, but for future people, current and future people. And when you think about that, there's this one book um, that says, for the sake of future people, there's way more future people than there are current people and people that have ever lived. And when you start to really think about that and that compounding aspect, the work we do right here could set the stage for high quality healthcare, optimal health for the future. And that comes with its own certain, certain sense of responsibility. But then I'm also on the other side of it where I think we have to get to this point where we have to ask people, are you about this or are you not? Because I, it's like you don't have time for the bureaucracy anymore because it's like more time trying to focus on you is time away from my kid. And so there's this idea of how do we actually push us forward? Like, you know, how do we have these courageous conversations to say, you know what? We are going in uncharted territories. We are navigating the gray. But the goodness and the thing that gives me hope is we don't need to do this alone. No organization needs to do this alone. We have people all across the nation and the globe doing this work together because it's imperative for us as a human society for the health of our civilization to actually think about this. Dr. Brian O. Buckley, NCQA's Director for Health Equity Initiatives, joining me live at NCQA's 2023 Health Innovation Summit. And I hope you're all looking forward to our 2024 Health Innovation Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee from October 31st through November 2nd. You can find out more about our upcoming Health Innovation Summit anytime at ncqasummit.com. That's ncqasummit.com. Our call for speakers is open. Our sponsorship opportunities are growing. And registration, that's going to be open before you know it. Be sure to save the date by going to ncqasummit.com and clicking the red button that says, see you in Nashville. 
As we do on each episode of Inside Healthcare, we now ask for your thoughts on today's show. Email us at communications at ncqa.org anytime. And be sure to include Inside Healthcare, those three words, Inside Healthcare, in the subject line. If you're coming up empty for what to say, here's our question for you for this episode. What inspires you most to pursue solutions to health equity? And if you have a comment, a suggestion, an idea for a guest on our show, maybe you want to be a guest on the show, that's quite all right. Just email us and let us know. Communications at ncqa.org. And be sure to write Inside Healthcare in the subject line. Hope to hear from you soon. And that's it for episode 123 of Inside Healthcare, a podcast by NCQA. Thanks for joining us. This episode's done, but there are plenty that came before it for you to explore and investigate. So you can find all of it. You can find us online at blog.ncqa.org. Or find us on Apple, YouTube, or Amazon Music, or any of the many streaming apps that carry us. Whether you download the show or you stream it, if you find us, then follow us. Bookmark us on Apple Podcasts, give us a thumbs up on YouTube, or click a little heart follow on Amazon. Show us you're listening. And spread the word. Help us build our audience by letting others know about NCQA's work. If you haven't done so already, connect with NCQA on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll get video promos for this show to share with your friends and colleagues. And as always, we thank you, our loyal listener, for helping our audience continue to grow. On behalf of our award-winning NCQA communications team, I'm Dave Smolar. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast. <laughs>